Bonjour et bienvenue or uh, welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon and we are going to call this New Music Monday as I have Dylan Villain, frontman for the band The Wild out of Canada and for Canadians, you know, most of us in the rock world have heard this, they, they, they tour incessantly and I mean that in a good way of course. Uh, they opened up for Airborne, they opened up for all kinds of great bands, and so they are part, an active part of, of the rock scene. They have a new album out called Still Believe in Rock and Roll, and I think most of you listening to me is, uh, while well, you share that belief, I think you listen to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon because you still have a belief in rock and roll, so do yourself a favor. Uh, check out Canadian band The While and Still Believe in Rock and Roll. It is available now on every single platform and and in physical uh, product. So you, you need to pick up a CD. I love my CDs. Anyway, Dylan Villain sat down with me a couple of weeks ago. We had this nice long chat. I will get right to it. And uh, well, there you go. Here is, without further ado, Le Solienic, the one and only... Dylan, villain. By the way, sorry for interrupting, but don't you think that deserves, don't you think the middle name should be the? Let's try that again. Here is uh, from the wild, the one, the only, Dylan, the villain. There you go. Cheers. We are speaking with the wild frontman, Dylan, villain, the new album, which is out now. It is wonderful. It is called Still Believe in Rock and Roll. And uh, in these days of COVID-19, that's that's something very important to believe in, I think, right? Uh, bonjour, Dylan. How are you? Hey, man. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? It's uh, Each day is, is something new, isn't it? New challenge. Uh, you cannot believe how difficult just grocery shopping has become. And yet you look around in Sweden and they're hanging out on ski slopes, uh, having drinks at bars. And you're like, I don't know. I don't get it, but, you know. Yeah. You know, and every day you just got to, you wake up, you, you either look at the news or, or the or the latest uh, regulations and policies and go about your day uh, as you can or you or you don't because you don't feel like getting bummed out and you just try to make the best of it. I mean, that's really what I've been doing. Yeah. Or, or the other option is to uh, go to my Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, and check out all the good rock news of the day. See, look at that. Yeah. Gratuitous well, you plug. And I were talking about the, even, you and I were talking about that, like, what was that, a couple of weeks ago? And, and you were, like, saying, like, you know, <clears throat> what do you think? Like, should I, is, is it worth keeping the content rolling? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, rock fans like myself and yourself and a lot of other people, you know, that listen to the show and go to your Twitter and stuff. They want, they want to have a break in the content of all the constant, you know, gloom, doom and gloom or that social media is right now with this thing going on. So a hats off to you for keeping all that rolling for us, Mitch. Well, well, thank you. And, and you know what, I think that's what people do want because I've been getting a lot of uh, direct messages and stuff of saying, Hey, thank you for breaking up the feed and not always like you say, doom and gloom. And by the way, that that also applies to all the bands out there, the Def Leppards, the Wilds, the, the the Kisses. You know, everybody's putting stuff that's away from this big everybody's going to die thing. So I think that's sort of helping as well. But uh, let us uh, let us get into the into the album. Um, the uh, Still Believe in Rock and Roll. So here you are. The album comes out in March. You want to head out on the road. You want to go promote it properly. You were supposed to go out with Airborne. 
and do all kinds of updates and you had pre-orders and all kinds of stuff, it all comes to a halt. How, how much of an impact does that have on the record's release and its ability to, to find a launch? Yeah, you know, man, it's, it's um, in short, I'll just say it's a hell of a time to release a record, but of course none of us could ever see this coming. And, and you know, <clears throat> as you mentioned, we had a full-scale album release tour in Europe, uh, 17 shows, you know, 15 of those shows were already sold out before getting even, you know, getting on the plane. Uh, record coming out the day of the first show, you know, everything was looking great. And then, you know, a run, like you just said, followed right after that with Airborne in Canada. And uh, everything stops. And it, it, I'll admit, like, it's really frustrating and it can be really challenging in a time where you've got so much momentum rolling up and leading up to the tour and, and the album release and everything like that. But, um, you know, what I've had, I basically have had to just kind of turn my brain away from all that because if I just stay on it, I just get so pissed off thinking about it. But really the thing that's pulled me out of it. And I don't know, I think a lot of the people that I've been talking to kind of feel the same way is understanding that the situation is not only just, my own personal shit or my band personal shit. It's literally every person in the world is being affected by this in some way, shape or form. And somehow I take comfort in that, just knowing that I'm not the only one getting, you know, that, that, that their plans didn't work out the way they wanted. So we've been, uh, you know, we've been pretty resilient in ways to try to keep the momentum rolling and stay uh, on everybody's radar with the record. There's been a ton of great press, you know, including, you know, yourself right now. So, you know, shout out to everybody who's, not only listening to the record and enjoying it in a tough time, but everybody who still wants to talk about it. And, um, you know, we just keep rolling full, you know, full steam ahead because that's all we know how to do. And that's just the kind of guys that we are. Yeah, really. And, uh, I have a lot of listeners that are in Australia and also in the UK and in Europe in general who may not have heard of, of the wild. So uh, talk to me just a little bit about what the sound is. You know, I know it's a rock and roll thing and I've heard it, and I love it. It's great stuff. But for the fan that's listening to my show, who's a fan of my show and, and doesn't know who Dylan is and doesn't know what the wild is, what kind of music can they expect? And uh, especially on the third album or on this album. Yeah, I, uh, I actually heard it. Somebody said to me uh, since this record came out, they said it sounded like rock and roll snorting punk. And I was like, wow, that's actually I've never heard that. That's actually really cool. That's a great uh d- great you know one line or one line description of our band we uh we all grew up playing in punk bands and listening to rock records as kids um you know and all that sort of i think really the grit and the authenticity and the attitude of that sort of you know upbringing is kind of what pushed us into into the rock world but with a little bit more i don't know like we've had success at, at uh active rock radio and things like this but there's something about our band that just you can't really put us in with, you know, the, um, the shine downs or the nickelbacks of, of the active rock world. We're not like that. We got a little bit more dirt under our fingernails and, you know, we didn't ever go to the radio. The radio came to us and we just like to play music with a lot of conviction and, and feeling behind it and a lot of raw energy, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, you know, the early ACDC side of things mixed with a punk rock thing, you know, the, the authenticity and the feeling of the blues in it, you know, because all that great, you know, really traditional rock music is deep rooted in the blues, as we all know and love. And, you know, we're no different. We just really want to write songs and 
and create create an energy and a live show that's just based around all of that high octane, you know, authenticity and energy and just really bringing it as hard and fast and loud as we can. So so talk to me then about, about radio, because you mentioned radio came to you. How important is it for a band in this day and age to have the radio support? Because we know uh, fans have all these streaming services. We've got YouTube. We've got a lot of choices. Does radio still make a difference? Does, does it really matter if terrestrial radio picks you up? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, it, let, let me put it this way. It doesn't hurt. It's never going to hurt when you have your song on the radio. I can, I can tell you that firsthand. Um, but in a situation like ours, we didn't know. We, we really didn't. We didn't service any in the radio in the early days. We just were a band with a, a cool song and a, and a really cool video that went viral. And a lot of people um, really started to latch onto it and really started to get on board with us. And, uh, you know, uh, started sharing it and just kind of blew up. And before we knew it, and we were touring, like we were always on the road in the early days. I mean, we still are, but in the early days, it was just nonstop. Like we, we would just would, because we never had a thing around us where we couldn't play, you know, we, we couldn't overplay anywhere. We were still trying to get our name out. So we would play, we probably played too much, but, but we didn't give a shit. You know, we just wanted to play all the time and, and be around. And all of a sudden, people start coming to the shows and saying, Hey man, I heard you on the radio. One or a hundred point three, the bear in Edmonton. Hey, I heard you on the radio. And, you know, and, and Lloyd Minster, Hey, I heard you on the radio in Red Deer and in Calgary and all these things. And we, we had, again, we had no idea, but what we started to notice is the sure shit was a lot more people at the shows. So, um, in one way it is definitely important, but on the flip side of that, on the other hand, like you did say, there's so many streaming services available now that, I think, you know, a young, not only just a younger audience is into, but people in general. And I've always said the minute that these um, streaming platforms start injecting local news based off of an IP address on your phone or something like that onto their streaming services, terrestrial radio may be done as we know it. Don't get me wrong. Like they've been good to my band and, and I'm not knocking anything, but if you have an opportunity to play, to pay 10 bucks a month, and listen to whatever the hell you want. I mean, I know a lot of people are probably going to go that route over turning on the radio. So the thing that I feel that radio needs to do in order to stay relevant is become a discovery tool the way it used to be. Allow the jocks to find bands, up and coming bands that maybe people haven't heard of and champion those bands and be the ones behind them to tell their story to say, Hey, everybody needs to listen to this band. This is my favorite band and it should be your favorite band. And without that, I mean, you're just turning on the radio to hear, you know, sweet home Alabama again for the hundredth time. And, you know, all these songs that have been played to death out there without there being any sort of new life injected into it. Now, now uh, the, the, the thing I retain from, from that answer is that you said there's radio and red deer who knew. Who knew? I thought that was just forest land. <laughs> Nobody expected to have radio in Red Deer. But um, I am going to, of course, ask you about, about Mike Frazier. Here's a guy who has touched albums from Guns N' Roses, uh, Hatebreed. I'm trying to think what else he's done. Uh, Brian Adams, Chickenfoot, Buck Cherry, uh, ACDC, of course. What does a Mike Frazier bring to you? Because here you are. You're a new band with a new vision it's the you know the the 20s or whatever you call it the, the 2000s do you are you somewhat worried that he's going to have this old vision of what makes rock or does he bring an experience to it where you go ah i never would have thought about that uh, just talking about that relationship and working with mike 
You know what? I think the biggest thing between Mike and I is it's always been a developing thing. Um, first of all, he's one of my best friends. Um, you know, we, we talk multiple times every single week and having that relationship outside of working together allows for the working relationship to be so strong. A lot of it's based around communication in the studio. So we're able to really talk to each other and understand what you're trying to achieve. Um, that's where you can really, you know, start to flourish and it's no, it's no different for, you know, um, record to record, because when we first got together, <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, when I very, very first met him, I didn't know him. You know what I mean? And I, and I'll admit, I was taken aback by that. And I was like, you know, this is Mike Fraser, uh, holy shit. Like, how am I going to make it happen? How am I going to uh, work with this guy? How am I going to make it happen? I actually, funny story. I actually offered him my car to make the first record at a 1965 Cadillac DeVille. And it's the only thing I had. <laughs> and he laughed at me and slipped me back the keys. And I said, why are you laughing? He goes, well, the last guy to give me his car was John Bon Jovi. And I still got it. So no, I'm not, I'm not taking your car, <laughs> but anyway, that, that's a whole other story. But the way thing about phrases is, is he, he's very good at understanding the artists that he works with. He's very good at understanding what they want. And again, that goes back to the communication thing. So if you listen to our records from record to record to record, by the time we've arrived at this third record, there's been, you know, enough of a relationship developed and enough understanding of what, who the artist is and what they were trying to achieve. And then you both grow, you know, record, record, the band evolves, the band evolves in the songwriting, in the style or whatever, and these things, and the, and the producer and the engineer, in Mike's case, you know, they really can evolve with that. And I think for us on this third record, especially, it's one of those scenarios where we both really did what we set out to do and, and had a real understanding of what we wanted to do on this record specifically. So Mike's biggest thing is just really being able to dial in the sound that bands are after. He's, he, he's an absolute genius and a wizard with it you know, be it guitar tones, drum tones, everything really just, he, he, he understands where he wants things to go based off of what the artist wants. And that's a really, really great quality to have when you're working someone, with someone making a record. Well, it really is. So, okay. So talk to me about that. We, we know the story about the, about the car. It's, it's, it's been well, do well, at least in Canada, we, we've heard about it. Um, but what is it about your band that attracted him? Because like we said, we, he's worked with ACDC and Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses, the biggest of the big. There's got to be a hundred local bands that might say, hey, Mike, I've got to see. Hey, Mike, I've got a song. Hey, Mike. What is it about you guys where he went, yeah, okay, all right, I'm good. Like, yep. what, what vibe did you give off? You know what? I don't know. I, I, you'd have to ask him that if you really wanted the truth about it. But I, I, I can do that, that as soon as you set up an interview. I can do. I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, truthfully, man, he 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 came to us, and I'll admit he he set up the meeting to our former management back. This is going back five six years ago, and um, he just said he was like, "I know what to do at this band," and that was the message that was relayed to me. And I and at the time, I was just I I just thought to myself. I don't, I want, don't get me wrong. I want to work with this guy. I know that I want to make a record with him. I know that he, he gets it. He gets our band. He, of course he does. But my biggest thing was how, how am I going to do this? And, you know, Mike's just the kind of guy, if he really believes in something, if he, if he gets, you know, a strong feeling about it, he's a very passionate guy when it comes to his craft about this kind of music that we all know and love that we all need to, 
you know, preserve and uphold. And if he really believes in something, he will, he will make it work for you. You know, he's that kind of a guy. So we must've done something right in those early years to get his attention. And truthfully, I think it comes down to um, the fact that especially with rock music, there isn't a lot of bands like us, you know, there's a lot of rock bands and I'm not saying they're not good, but there isn't a lot of rock bands that have the true, like, you know, energy and the live set and grit behind them, or they play it a little safe or their records are a little too overproduced. And to me, I mean, that's okay, but it's just never what we were going to be. And I think that's right. something that really registered with him. And that's what brought him on board. So, so what you're saying is that they're not good. That, that's basically. <laughs> no, I'm not saying they're not good. No, uh, they're I'm just, just kidding. Not, they're just but, not my cup of tea. No, I know. <laughs> but, but I, I do want to, okay. So we, listen, this whole rock is dead thing. I and mean, we're not going to discuss that because that's ridiculous. And, and you have a quote where you once said, Hey, if rock is dead, why are all our shows sold out or, or something like that, which is true. Um, but what do you bring to the genre? Cause we, we have done, you know, the Aerosmith thing and we've done the Guns N' Roses thing and then Nine Inch Nail moves it a bit forward and Marilyn Manson moves it. What do you bring to the game? What's, what is sort of your vision of what rock should be in 2020? You know, I think it's for us, it's a lot about perseverance. It's about, you know, perseverance of getting through flavors of the week and, um, you know, uh, passing trends, we've never really concerned ourselves with that. You know, we, we never have tried to adapt to any sort of sound or fashion or any of that shit. We've just kind of always been who we are and it's worked. And that's something that we've built a foundation on and haven't really, you know, went astray from. So, you know, there's, there's a thing with this, with this kind of music for me anyway, that it's very much about preserving this traditional sound and this, you know, this sort of, uh, this sort of authenticity about it all. Cause a lot of the cookie cutter stuff to me sounds more like pop. And I'm not, again, it's, if that's what people like, it's music, it's objective. You can like it, you can not like it. But for me, I like when I can tell there's a band that is actually playing real instruments and, it, and you know, it's got some imperfections on it and it's got, some character to it and that's one thing that i feel is missing in the genre nowadays and that's one thing that we are trying to bring back because that's just the kind of guys that we are and that's the kind of music we play yeah and and you're right about that uh my buddy alan niven who used to manage guns and roses and who knows mike quite well he always says there is a perfection in the imperfection and that's true yeah, right it's true when it comes to rock um so, so talk to me then about some of the challenges you had doing this kind of music because you're right it would have been much easier to, you know, do some kind of EDM thing or some kind of, you know, straight pop thing. Or What kind of challenges have you faced through the career with bars going, eh, you know, you're playing original, mm, or, or, or record labels going, yeah, you know, it's rock, dudes. Mm. Has it been a challenge or has the music just been that great that people went, oh, yeah, I don't fucking care. This guy's good. Well, it's either that we were never privy to all the people saying no, or we just didn't give a fuck. Basically, you know, we were keeping in mind we've been at it for a number of years. So I think in, especially in the early years, we weren't really concerned about much of anything. As long as there was a show, you know, and we could go and get, we could get from show to show and we could play our songs and feel that freedom that the music it was giving us and the rush of the show was giving us. And then we could, you know, 
to do whatever we did after the show and get in all sorts of fucking trouble. That was enough for us, you know? And that was enough for us to keep chasing it. And also, I couldn't really imagine doing anything else. And I know the guys are the same. So, you know, whether or not there was, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that, yeah, okay, I'll talk about this. There, there were, one of the biggest things that happened in the early days was the big rush of EDM and, and, and dubstep and all these sorts of subgenres to electronic music. And again, I'll say it, music is subjective, I understand. But it put up a it put up a bit of a wall against rock bands, and it's, there is still a bit of that going on. And that's just for us, I guess it's been part of the thing that's pushed us forward. You know, if you want to tell us no, or people want to say it's not, no, it's not really what I listen to. And for us, it's more of a reason to want to just keep doing it and just keep pushing and keep and never really stop because. It, all of that, you know, blowback or like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. That's just fuel to us. We just want to keep writing music that we know we love and our fans love and hope to just keep doing it on a bigger scale. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I like about this band is that it's authentic. Because if you were just in it to make a buck, it would have been easy to, to do a dubstep or, or to do a, one of those things and, and be, hey, we're playing Oceaga Festival in Montreal, 100,000 people, look at us, we're great. But you've stuck to your guns. You're doing the music you love to do. So where does this love come from? Is it, you know, you had a big brother or, or, or mom and dad? Or how did you sort of get into this genre and not some other one? You know, why didn't you follow whatever Ed Sheeran down the down the road? What what motivated you? Did you pick up like an Aerosmith album and go, fuck, yeah, this is this is what I like? You know what? It was, um, I was really, real young, really, really young. And my parents, um, <clears throat> my parents would like bring, bring me to my grandparents, to, you know, for watch the kids for a while kind of thing. And my parents, my grandparents were absolutely crazy about Elvis. And they had Elvis all over the house and they'd go to Vegas and they'd see Elvis and, you know these sorts of things. And, and, and I remember seeing Elvis on TV and he would perform and he would do something and, and the chicks would scream and, and the, the people would scream. And I just, uh, even at a young age, I was like, what's that about? What, what, what is going on there? And so I wanted to align myself with whatever the hell was going on there. And then it wasn't long after that before I was gifted a, a ukulele instead of a guitar because I was actually so small. I think I was around five or six years old or something. And I took that thing everywhere. And my dad is also a musician and just, uh, he's a real deal rock and roller and he had really great taste in music growing up. So we lived in the middle of fucking nowhere, like an hour from the town that I went to school in or, you know, would have to do anything, go to get groceries, any of that. So every drive into town that we would do would be a great rock record. Like, so I was raised on, you know, early ACDC Bad Company, you know, Frog Hat, Steppenwolf, uh, you know, the, all the Aerosmith, all the greats, man, and all the all the classic stuff that it's really again, it's music you can you can um, you can tell that it is a human being playing an instrument, and those drives in the, from that upbringing, from you know watching all this as a young kid, and all that time spent in my dad's truck listening to classic rock records, really is what just laid the blueprint for it all down for me because. That's just, I, 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 I can recall even everybody, every real rock fans probably had that moment in their life where they just knew right away, this is for me. And it's going to be for me for the rest of my life. Well, and and, and I noticed you mentioned uh, that your dad played all the greats and you forgot to mention Kiss. So obviously that's an oversight, I would imagine. 
<laughs> you know what? He he's still he'll tell you he's still to this day a proud member of the Kiss Army. So, there you go. You See? know that wasn't oversight on my behalf. Yeah, yes, he knows. He knows. Well, we know. We know. Uh, but okay, so so your dad grows up on all this music, and he plays it for you in the car as you drive everywhere. And now you come to him with these three albums. How, how does your dad react to this? Does he say, hey, son, come on, this ain't no fucking Bob Seger. Pick up the game. Or does he say, hey, you know what? It's pretty fucking rocking. Good good job, son. No, it's pretty cool, man. Like, they're, they're both, both him and my mom are incredibly supportive of it. And they're, because they still like rock music. You know what I mean? Like, they, you go over to their house and they're still playing great rock records when they're like making kiss. dinner when they're hanging like kiss out alive. Yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> you know? but they're, they're not the kind of people though that they'll just throw on a record like a full a full album and listen to it you know and that's you know a sign of their age of course in the times but that's what's that's what's missing in the genre fuck the singles and fuck the streaming and all this shit like make a this goes for the bands too start making records that have enough good songs that somebody can throw on and listen to every goddamn song that's a real, that's a true art to that, and that's missing. Oh, there is. Okay, so let me just quickly ask you about that, though, uh, and then we'll we'll end on this. When you make a record, do you do you look at it as we need to have three great Spotify singles, or do you say no, 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 no? We need to make ten, twelve songs and make an album that has a sequence and a flow and a start and a finish. How do you how do you sort of approach it? Yeah, that is an incredibly. Um, an incredibly strong thing that I focus on. I want the whole, it's just like a live show for me. I want the thing to have some flow to it. I want it to each song to, um, you know, compliment the next and so on and so forth with, with the proper flow to it all. You know, of course you write the songs first. It's not like we wrote a concept album or anything here with the intention of it being, you know, this, this big mystical thing or anything like that. It's, we wrote about, we wrote, you know, a, the best rock songs that we possibly could. And we did it and we gave, we did it with the, the idea of giving each song something really important to say and finding a way to say it. That was infectious to the listener. And once that was done, we wanted to align the songs in a proper running order that each song complemented the next one and give the whole album an experience. And it wasn't about, one song or three songs it was about all 10 and making sure all 10 really had impact and i think that's again that's something that a lot of bands should start going back to and focusing on when they write a record no no more filler just put enough songs on there that are all put enough attention into all the songs because people people are missing that so yeah we've gone from all killer no filler to some filler a little bit of killer you know we we we've gone we've gone backwards in you know you you need one killer track and the rest can be filler anyway uh, on that uh merci beaucoup hopefully we will get to see you and every other band back on the road soon because this is this is nuts man we we need rock and roll and as much as i love watching really horrible videos on youtube or on facebook um i, I need the real thing in my face and and yeah i need real bands hey like, you know what like, hey yeah, we do. You know what? I, we're really missing it too. But on that note, let me just tell you something real quick. We recently did just do a Facebook live show and we did it on a proper stage with full light set up and full soundboard recording, loud guitars. There was no chump sitting around with iPhones. So if you do want to see our band in a live setting and you want to see a real actual live show streamed, go to our Facebook page and check it out. And um, like you said, once this whole thing blows over, it'll be great for all of us because we can all get back to doing what we know how to do and love 
And for us, that's playing rock and roll. And hopefully everybody's coming to the shows when the thing's all done. Yeah, and I think uh, it's important for, for fans to get back out there because uh, all music, whether it's rock or EDM or country or pop, they really survive on the live shows and selling those tickets and selling the merch at those shows. And without that, uh, we're going to lose a lot of great music and a lot of great bands because not everybody's going to be able to ride the wave. So support your bands, folks. Yeah, absolutely. He's right. You know, without that support, this whole thing doesn't exist. So you keep supporting the bands that you love and this music will never die. Yep. And it's, it's, it's every genre of music. And on that, uh, merci, merci beaucoup. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Didier, and uh, have a good day, man. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.